the armour of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Roger. Shall we just take a moment to to pray, shall we? God, our Father, thank you so much for for your word. Thank you for the promise that you're with us uh, now. Thank you, uh, Father, that we... Uh, can have that and know that assurance. And we pray as we look at this together that you will um, teach us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do keep Ephesians 6 uh, open um, in front of you. Um, If you were here last week, um, we began to consider this whole area of um, the spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle. Uh, We said... Paul begins in verse 10, you see that word, finally, he says, because he wants us to understand the context in which um, we live and work and move. He wants you and I to understand the surroundings that we have and and the array, if you like, of opposition, of, of powerful forces that are out essentially to destroy, destroy our, our faith. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. But what we didn't look so much um, at and talk about was who it was that we were taking our stand against. We may have just assumed it. So we begin this morning by asking, um, what is the enemy? Or who is the enemy? Verse 11, if you look at it, says it goes on. So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There it is. There, there are many, um, I suspect, um, who hear the word um, devil and say, uh, really? Really? 
a, a, a being called the devil. Eddie, the next thing you're going to be telling me is that the uh, Loch Ness Monster is, is real. Um, you know, I like hearing about Jesus and um, all that stuff, but the devil? Well, surely we've moved on from the, the Middle Ages. It might be you here um, this morning. And what I want to say in response to that is really by asking us a question, or asking you a question, is, well, then, what is your basis, what is your basis for the objection of a supernatural evil? For, for some, you believe in God and heaven and a, a supernatural good, so on what basis could you therefore deny there being an evil opposite to God, a hell, or a supernatural evil? You may, might say, well, I like what I hear about uh, Jesus saying, loving our neighbor as ourselves and all those good things. I like what I hear, he says, about um, injustice and, uh, and things like that. But, but when Jesus says things in Luke uh, uh, 10, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning... When I hear that, I just think it's plain crazy. But you see, the, the thing we have to remember is how can we choose? How can we pick and choose? How, how can a disciple of Jesus, if you pick and choose what seems like the less embarrassing bits, if you, if you like, of Jesus' teaching? And of course what you're doing is, is we're, you're making... Um, you, you're you're choosing the bits that you like and therefore effectively you're making a religion in your own liking, aren't you? Rather than letting Jesus speak both the palatable bits, the bits we like, but also the bits that we find difficult. Now, of course, others might uh, uh, reject supernatural God just as they reject a supernatural um, devil. Uh, and you find it difficult believing in, in either of them. Here's, here's a, a, a beginning for you, if that's you. Um, I, I dare to say that your time is up. Why do I say that? Well, think about it like this. 300 years ago, belief in the supernatural was, was just a given. It was just a given. It's only since the Enlightenment um, that the way to find truth was, is uh, seen as through reason and objective science. We can know all there is to know in nature because it was seen as a closed system. Nature was all there is. And so you say to believe in God or the devil is to go back to those Middle Ages, those Dark Ages, to be out dated and not to be scientific but here's the thing to be to be blunt you need to watch out because you're soon going to be outdated yourself because people and you probably already are seeing this around us are coming to realize again what the philosophers have known for centuries you can't prove a negative You can't prove scientifically that there's no supernatural. For someone to say that is that they are making actually a faith statement. They're making an assumption. 
You see what's happening around us. And I think it's especially true in the, in the younger generations. People are beginning to see this old kind of closed universe system is dying out. Which, which means, once again, people are seeing the possibility of the supernatural. And therefore, you could ask yourself, who's out of date? Now, I'm not saying that I can prove to you in a scientific way that the devil exists either. But I am at sea saying, at least if that's you, at least come with the possibility. Wrestle with it because Jesus believes the devil existed. He says things like, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. There's a great line in um, a film called The Usual Suspects. You might have seen it. I think it was a 1980s film. There's a line in there that goes, the greatest trick the devil ever made was to convince the world he doesn't exist. So that's his greatest trick, his greatest deception, is to make you think he doesn't exist. Don't make that mistake. Just think what a mistake it would be to think that he doesn't exist. There's more maybe to say on that. You may want to question myself or or Andrew afterwards about that. But let's move on to, to think a bit more about the enemy's strategy. What is the enemy's strategy? It's there in verse 11. It says it's the devil's schemes. The the devil is is scheming. The word devil, diabolu, means deceiver. The main strategy of the enemy is deception. Elsewhere, uh, you find in the Bible, in John 8, uh, Jesus talks about Satan being a liar. A liar, the father of all lies. So he tells people lies. And I think um, perhaps the clearest way that he does this um, for does this to us is in our imagination. He wants to deceive us in our, our imaginations. He gets there by causing havoc in here, doesn't he? Let me try to give you an example of it. Anger is anger is in itself not a bad thing, is it? God gets angry, and he's perfect. Um, There's such a thing as righteous anger over injustice. But if you, of course, let anger tip in, or let it fester, what does it tip into? It tips into bitterness, and we become bitter. It infects our imaginations, and so something, uh, something happens to you, you're wronged at work or something, I don't know what it might be, somebody badly treats you, you get rightly angered by it. But what happens that night, you know, you, we've all been there, haven't we? That night, what happens is you're sitting in bed and what happens? The imagination goes. The devil tries to deceive us by making us roll over this imagination again. And so we hit the rewind button on all the things that have happened that day. And you start to play the scenarios out in your head and you say, and so the enemy then comes in, doesn't he? And he says things like, you're right, you have been wronged, haven't you? You have been wronged. It's justified to speak out 
to get back at that colleague. You'd be right to just never speak to them again and give them a piece of your mind. Unless that bitterness then creeps in into the imagination and it's very destructive. Because what Jesus really says is in Matthew 5, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Or, or think about it in another area, think about it in the area of guilt. Guilt is a good thing. God has given you and me a conscience. That is a good thing. But the devil can play such havoc with our conscience and our guilt. And so that we can't almost turn it off at times. We keep rewinding it. We keep going over the things that we've done and said. You can't feel forgiven because you keep thinking about them. Your mind continually flashes backwards and forwards over historical things that you wish that you hadn't done or said. And so easily it slips from guilt, which is a good thing, conscience, into actually self-loathing, self-hate. I hate myself for doing that. I hated why I did that. And the whisper comes in, doesn't it? The deceiver comes in. Call yourself a Christian. You did what? You can't be forgiven. You see how infectious, how the devil infects our imaginations. Instead, we should be going, when that happens, to Romans 8. The beginning of Romans says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In every situation... It's there, isn't it? Sexual temptation, bitterness, greed, anxiety, guilt. The devil comes in and affects our imagination and plays havoc with it. Our lives and our relationships, our, our work, our, our home. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? We deal with it by putting on the full armour of God. And remember, it's God's armour. That's so important. I think a lot of time is wasted trying to put on our own armour. You know, it's the, it's the, we try to, I'm going to think really positively about it. Positive thinking. That'll do it. Or, or I'll go to some mindfulness stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll try common sense. Just good old common sense. That'll sort it out. And willpower. They don't work. And they won't work. You will be defeated. Why... Look at verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. Now, what is this belt of truth? This is the first part that we're going to look at um, tonight. Verse 14. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist. Now, Paul would have been very acquainted with the picture of Roman soldiers. Uh, he knew uh, his readers would understand it as well. He knew um, that that would be a good picture. I'm sure that is in um, his mind, but I want to say that I don't think it's the whole story. And I'll come back to that in a moment, why I think it's not the whole story. Let's just think, though, for a moment about the belt here. Um, belt was not for decoration, I mean, you get some people who always wear belts for, as accessorising, apparently. You get a big belt or a shiny belt or lots of colours on it, apparently. What's wrong with an ordinary belt? I don't know. But I'm starting to sound old, aren't I? 
Yeah, I know. Um, but <laughs> you, it's not for decoration. Um, the belt was your foundational garment. Your foundational garment. You see, in, in those days, they wore long, flowing robes. And so the only way that you could get ready for the battle was to pick up your robes and tuck them into your girdle, into your belt. In a real sense, I suppose the belt is not really a part of the armour, in a true sense. Um, it's more to do with the foundation, something you wore in readiness for battle. Now, of course, you understand this picture, don't you? I think it's a really it's an obvious picture for us. We understand it. You know, when we get in our cars, if we've not um, belted up, our cars start bleeping at us, don't they? And telling us, you're not ready to drive if you're not buckled up. We kind of get that. Or, in, you know, we're going to fly. Somebody comes around and says, put your seatbelt on um, and make sure it's tight and fastened. We understand it. Why do we understand that? Because the seatbelt around us, if we hit turbulence or in the flight, you're going to know about it, aren't you? It's kind of an obvious picture. Now, while the picture of the Roman soldier is in Paul's mind and convinced that it's only part of the story, um, why do I say this? Well, remember that Paul is a Jew. He's Jewish. He's steeped in the, the Old Testament. Um, remember, remember that. Remember also, remember that the enemy, um, the devil, has been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted. And in the New Testament, Jesus is revealed. Okay? And one of the predictions in the Old Testament that you will find, go and have a look at it, is that the, the one to come, the Messiah, is a mighty warrior. We were singing a bit about it earlier. And so in Psalm 24, it says this. You might like to look at this afterwards. Lift up your hands, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And then he asks, who is the king of glory? The Lord The Lord, strong and mighty, it says. The Lord, mighty in battle. See, ultimately, Jesus is the warrior, the mighty in battle. And there's loads of this. Isaiah is a great place to go. Isaiah talks of the one to come in Isaiah 11. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Isaiah 52 says, how beautiful are the feet who bring good news, who proclaim peace. Echoes verse 15 in our reading. And with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Isaiah 59 says, He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. Who's he talking about? Of course, he's talking about the Lord Jesus, of course, the Messiah. And so... I say this because we need to realise there's more going on here than just the image of the Roman soldier. But the image is of Jesus Christ as the divine warrior. As the divine warrior. This, therefore, makes a big difference to the way that we read this passage because we can read Paul here as urging us to simply try and defeat the devil in battle. 
You, you could read it like that, couldn't you? Maybe you, you read that like that this morning. You see, wearing, you see wearing the armour here isn't about you and I getting a, a, a victory over the devil. It's not about becoming um, like Christ to defeat Satan. No. Remember, it's about standing. But, you know, remember that the repeated four times the word stand here. It's about standing confidently in the finished work of Christ Jesus, in his victory over Satan. It's about standing in what has already been done over Satan at the cross. Jesus Christ is the warrior the valiant warrior, it talks about the mighty Lord. He's the one who went face to face with the devil. He's the one who battled the devil in the wilderness and was tempted three times, three deceptions, three lies, and he defeated them by speaking truth. He's the one who went toe-to-toe with Satan at the cross and defeated sin and death. And he's accomplished it all. And therefore our armour ultimately is the gospel. Is the good news of Jesus Christ. That shouldn't surprise you. Look at the words of the salvation, helmet, uh, sword and uh, righteousness and all the words that are here in the passage. And so when the devil comes to attack, to deceive and to lie saying, I can't believe you did that again, call yourself a Christian, it won't matter if you go back and get back at that person who wronged you, and so on, and all those, those imaginations that the devil plays havoc with. The answer does not lie in me or you doing this or that, in, in, in mustering enough kind of willpower and energy, no, it's simply to stand up and confront the enemy with this, that Jesus Christ died, that Jesus Christ rose again, and he stands in victory. Because what you're saying to him at that point is, you're saying, Satan, you took your best shot at Jesus, didn't you, at Calvary. You took your best shot, and Jesus died, and he bore my sins, and he triumphed over death, and I am now united with him. I am safe and confident in him. I am untouchable. You are untouchable if you're in Christ Jesus. It's like one of those Russian dolls. Um, Phoebe got a Russian doll uh, last for her birthday last year. You know how the dolls work? There's six or seven of them. They're great, aren't they? You play with them and you open them and you close them and you open them and close them. I don't think there's anything more to it than that. (laughs) But they're a great toy. Um, And, uh, you know, if you're... It's like that. If you're a believer here um, this morning, you are like that tiny little doll at the end encapsulated in Christ Jesus in him, in the gospel 
And so as we end, the question I suppose for us um, this morning is, what does it mean then to put on the full, put on the full armour of God and to stand in this belt of truth buckled around your waist? I'd like to suggest to us this morning that it simply means this. It simply means the only thing, the only thing that could dispel the lies and deceptions of the devil is the truth of the gospel, is the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. Stand in that. Let's pray, shall we? Let's take a moment to to come before our Father with our thoughts, the ways in which the devil has tried to tempt us and deceive us. God, our Father, as we come to the table shortly, we pray that we will see again and remember that it is Jesus Christ who has won the victory as our valiant, mighty warrior who defeated sin and death at the cross for us, who rose again and is seated with you in victory, in glory. We stand in him. We stand in the good news of Jesus Christ. And so when Satan comes and tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within, upward, upward we look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Father. May we know the truth of this in our lives, this day and always. Amen.